Warrior Woman, welcome back to the podcast. Okay, we have a hot, spicy, uncomfortable topic today. One that I have rumbled with for a very long time. And I know a lot of women rumble with this as well. Perfectionism. Yep, that's what we're going to talk about today. I am joined by my very dear friend and therapist, Alex Charlton. And we sit down and we talk about perfectionism. Alex uh, is a counsellor and she works a lot in the eating disorder space. Her lived experiences motivated her to venture into the counselling field. Uh, And now she really supports others. She supports her clients on this journey to (laughs) self-acceptance. And in this journey to self-acceptance, there's a lot of rumbling with perfectionism. So today we talk about that. We talk about uh, our own experiences with perfectionism. And even as I record this podcast intro, there is like this little voice saying, oh, maybe you should have said it like that. Or "Mm, I probably wouldn't have introduced it like that. And it comes up a lot in my work. Uh, Every day I have to rumble with it, dance with it. And I've gotten really good at dancing with perfectionism. But it took a long time and a lot of work. So today in the episode, we talk about, you know, why it comes up, where it comes from, uh, how we can start working on dancing and rumbling with it. And Alex will give us some tools that we can use to really help, um, yeah, help us move through what can feel like uh, a debilitating I guess, quality that we have in us. Uh, So enjoy, enjoy this conversation. It was a pleasure to sit down and speak with her. She has an abundance of knowledge around this stuff. Uh, And yeah, get out your journal, maybe take some notes. Enjoy this episode on perfectionism. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. I believe the quality of our cycles determines the quality of our training and lives. And I believe lifting weights, knowing our cycles, and training with them is the future of women's training. Each week on the podcast, myself and other professionals We'll talk about how to know your cycle, eat to support your physiology and training, and how to train smart so you can finally get the results that you want in your training. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. All right, we're recording. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics today. And I believe it's one of your favorite topics as well. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about perfectionism. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when when sometimes you say that word, I reckon that sometimes viscerally we probably get this like weird feeling in our body sometimes when we talk about perfectionism. It's, um, 
it's a big topic, but one I'm sure we have all experienced at some point in <laughs> and it's it's really ironic because it's the pot calling the kettle black here so both of us I think um, have layers of perfectionism um, and I think that's what makes it really interesting that we can come from that angle of lived experience um, to help yeah to help whoever else identifies with that um, and to move it out of a space of um, like the pathology that it's bad it's wrong but how can we use it efficiently and effectively in the areas that are appropriate and then fine-tune and shift it in the areas where it's causing dysfunction. Yes. Yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, where do we want to start? Well, like you said, it gets such a bad rap, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So why don't I start by just sharing a little bit of how I see why it comes up. Yes. Um, and then, um, yeah, let's just see like how, I'd love to hear how it shows up in your work um, with your clients and it, particularly in the fitness community. Um, and then weave it to disordered eating, if that feels okay. Yeah, that's the journey we're gonna take, okay? We're gonna start at perfectionism and then we'll weave it into, into the fitness health space the food space, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll weave it into diet culture. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, so for anybody listening, um, I'm gonna use the term ego and how I sort of define ego. There's lots of different definitions out there, but just so we have all the same sort of um, vantage point, I describe it as the part of us, the part of our psyche that is uh, wired for self-preservation. So it helps us to survive, it helps us to identify threat, um, for us to um, wanna be the best and to be right and to have control because if we have control and, certain, and certainty, then we're more likely to survive um, threat and danger. Okay, so we need ego. However, it can be a pesky little bugger um, <laughs> and it bleeds into perfectionism. I see you laughing, Amy. Do you have anything to add? Uh, no, not, not yet. Okay. Awesome. So, um, yeah, our ego, um, typically in the world when we don't feel good enough, when we feel less than or inferior, our ego kind of wrestles with that and thinks, Fuck! Can I swear on here? Yeah, you can swear Fuck. on here. Like, how, how do I get out of this? Because as humans, we do not want to feel less than, right? We want to feel equal, and in some ways how we, we distance ourselves from feeling less than is either to self-sabotage ourselves first, because if we put ourselves down first, then no one else can do it, therefore we won't be blindsided and we'll have certainty and control over that. We either um, um, put ourselves in situations where we know the outcome is going to be that we're going to you know, be less than. So again, that's more predictability. Or we might even strive for superiority. So superiority being, I'm better than you. I am the best, hence perfectionism coming in there. 
or I'm gonna actually put you down. I'm gonna put you down so that I feel better then, so that I feel safe. And again, this is the ego trying to protect us. It's where the comparison comes in mm -hmm. and the judgment. So you're saying it's birthplace is really from us wanting to feel safe yes. and certain. You got it. Okay. You I think that's really important to understand. One, it's totally normal <laughs> to experience it, but it's coming from a place of wanting to feel safe and certain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if we are able to strive for equality in relationship, whether that be in romantic relationship, friendship, work, family, and the larger you know, society at large, um, there's space to be imperfect and for that to be enough. Yeah. <laughs> but oftentimes that doesn't feel accessible. That doesn't feel um, like that is enough. And so um, I'll just, you know, share that, um, you know, as children, it's super important our sort of um, we're egocentric as children so everything that happens outside of us we internalize as meaning something about ourselves so if i you know grew up in a chaotic family then my childlike self would think there's something wrong with me i've done something wrong as to why there's chaos on the outside okay um so as children they may adapt a perfectionistic lens an adaptive strategy to keep their attachment with their family members because if they are perfect then maybe there wouldn't be chaos or if they're perfect maybe their needs will get met because they'll be they'll be praised for that um, or maybe if i'm perfect i can help avoid this conflict i can control this conflict and make it go away a, when you talk about that, <clears throat> a story comes up for me, like through my childhood, raised uh, with the belief of like, we don't do things we're not good at. Mm. And so I remember, I think I was like seven or eight and I joined Little Athletics. Mm -hmm. So we turned up to Little Athletics and we were going into... Uh, like start practicing, start running. And all I can remember, and memories are funny things and I know another whole conversation because sometimes they can get fuzzy over time and we only remember certain things. But what I remember is like not running for whatever reason on that day, just being afraid to like participate. And then I wasn't allowed to go to a birthday party mm. <laughs> that, that same day because I didn't participate. And so that was like my kind of where I can remember that story starting of like, if you don't show up, you don't tr like try hard, you don't do well, then you don't even do it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't do things that you're not good at. And then I went into, you know, gymnastics, dancing, and those sports are very skill aesthetic based sports. Mm -hmm. Again, I think, and we can probably get into that, how that can bring up, some perfectionism stuff if we're focusing on like aesthetic sports or skill-based sports. Um, but that's when you talk about that, like from childhood, that's what like triggers a memory for me 
was being raised with the belief of we don't do things that we're not good at. Mm. So basically everything that I did, I had to be really good at. So the pursuit of like excellence Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. (laughs) And you are speaking to a very common cognitive distortion of all or nothing or black and white thinking which is, if I am not perfect, then I am not worthy. And holy shit, that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah, so much pressure. Suffocating pressure. pressure. (laughs) Right? Your little child self, you know, my goodness, I can imagine thought, if I am not the best, then I'm not going to be praised, therefore not going to get the attention you need. And as children, we equate attention to love. Yeah. Right? We, we don't really know the difference. It's if I get attention, then I am loved because I'm probably more likely to get my needs met. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, it's probably, it's, I don't know, you can tell me, it's, the work is probably not really super important about where it kind of came from, but more so that it shows up. You know, it's been showing up in my life for, for, for such a long time I had to do a lot of work on it when I had to stop Olympic lifting Mm. I guess that's kind of when it peaked for me and became like paralyzing or you know I was basing my self-worth on the number on the bar you know how well I lifted I was known as like the pretty lifter the good lifter you know the one with the best technique so I always put that pressure on myself to that's how I showed up. And then I got injured like really badly and I couldn't lift. But I had, you know, put so much uh, work into identifying as this strong female athlete now. And Olympic weightlifting did that for me. And when I couldn't lift, I didn't know who I was. And I, I had to go down in this massive exploration around my relationship to lifting and to me and to my worth and to my physical ability. And that's when I kind of really dived into like the, the perfectionism stuff. Like why, why did every lift have to be perfect? You know, how did that serve me? Yes. Um, Yeah. And so I, I think, so where can we, we can, we can go from here knowing that, okay, it's super common. It comes up for us to feel like safe and clear. It can come from our childhood mm-hmm. because if we get praise or attention, that's how we feel like loved. Uh, can I jump in for a sec? Yeah, go. There's a piece that you were saying that's so poignant and it has to do with identity. Yes. Right? It's the perfectionism helps to create and forge the identity that you want other people to see you as. And this is another layer of perfection, um, is it tries to control how others see us. Let's just take that in for a moment. (laughs) Say it again. It controls how other people see us. Yes. So with that piece, whether it's disordered eating, eating disorders, um, being really good at academics, um, being like an amazing artist, or uh, being an Olympic weightlifter. Being a really good Olympic weightlifter. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. right? If 
Perfectionism can help us achieve that identity of being the best or being well known for that or um, being exceptional. It's controlling how other people see us. Okay, but I, okay, I'm going to put like a big caveat kind of in here. So, because striving is good, mm -hmm. you know, working towards something, want, wanting to be good at something. I'm going to use Olympic lifting a lot, right? yeah, just because that was probably a really big relationship of mine with this topic. So, I think showing up, trying hard, wanting to like get really good at something is... Like, when do you know that it's a bad thing? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like, if I want to do Olympic weightlifting and I want to be really good at it, when, like, when is that, does this make sense? When is that, when is it Absolutely. a bad, when is it a bad thing? When do I know that, like, yeah, you, you yeah. go. Okay. <laughs> she well, goes. We've known each other a long time. So most of the time I talk in half sentences <laughs> and then Alex can just finish. My oh my God, you're so funny. And this is huge, right? Like this is great and messy to discern. And how I personally see it against my personal opinion is looking at, can I have self-compassion for myself when I don't have, when I don't, um, get the desired outcome that I'm striving for. Can I have self-compassion? Second, is my self-worth attached to that outcome or that image that I'm trying to portray? So, and if it is, red flag, right? Red flag, perfectionism's getting too, too much. And then three is, am I neglecting my needs for other people or the context in order to make that perfection happen. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Is I had a client, I have a client who um, at work, like over and above, amazing. Like literally is always gets raises, like is so awesome. And they work themselves into the ground. And it's for the approval, the sense of belonging and acceptance from, from their workforce or their, their employers because there's this underlying fear that they're not good enough and if they don't do things perfectly, they're going to be seen as a fraud or not, um, not competent, so on and so forth. So the perfectionism is actually a defense mechanism against feeling disappointment, not good enough, sad, hurt, all these underlying feelings are being masked by the defense of perfectionism. So if that is the case for folks where you see it's masking feelings, um, that it is tied to your sense of self-worth, if you lack self-compassion, if things don't go the way you want them to, that's when I think it's dysfunctional and it's not being used in its, I would say, its most healthy form, which is to strive towards goals and to make shit happen that we that we want in our life. Does yeah. That, does that make sense? Yes, it does. No, it does. Because like you said, it's gray, it's messy, it gets really cloudy, and it's really hard to tell sometimes whether the pursuit of the goal or the skill or the job or what, you know, the... The weight, the shape, the size, whatever it is, when when you use the perfectionism 
to armor up, I guess, against other things that you don't want to feel. Like right. if I achieve this, if I can do this, if I can look like this, then I'll feel like this, which therefore make, makes me like belong more yes. or feel more loved or yeah, more connected. Um, okay. And I think that's, a, that's key mm-hmm. is, you know, cause we can pursue, we can strive, you know, we can do well in things, but the, I'll bring it back to weightlifting. I knew that I was like armoring up and using perfectionism when like I was just basing my self-worth on the bar Mm -hmm. and I needed to be perfect or I needed to be the pretty one because I wasn't the strongest lifter. I also wanted the approval of my coach. Uh, I didn't want to like fail that same story around, you know, we only do things that we're good at. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I think it was all for me to feel like worthy, like enough. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah loaded yeah (laughs) so loaded yeah um because really if you think about everything that we do there's probably so much perfectionism Mm -hmm. in everything that we do out of the fear of like not being enough not belonging not being noticed um, not being loved yeah and this really i think funnels down to how we have I'm going to call it like a shame-based society where if you don't fit in, if you don't follow the status quo, if you if you don't live up to expectations that others have of you, there's a risk and a chance of being shamed and blamed for that. And as humans, you know, neurobiologically speaking, we're wired for connection. And if that gets severed, I know that maybe not now we won't die, but, yeah. but um, our, you know, our our old brains are still wired to think that we will if we don't have the acceptance of belonging of others. And when we feel shame, that's how our brains register it as a, th- a threat. Okay. All right. Well, what do we do then? Hey, yes. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, you know, I, yeah, that's a great question. Um, great question. And just for a moment, I'd like to kind of weave this into our bodies and that the pursuit of perfection yeah. the body. And then, um, and then we can talk about some strategies for listeners on how to, how to rewire that. Yeah. Well, like all of the women that I work with, they have been dieting for years or decades Mm -hmm. or one of their main goals is to change their weight shape or size right yeah okay so what what comes to my mind when i hear you say that is how in society we have been sold and told to feel badly about ourselves and to pursue a perfect body um, to be admired to feel enough to feel superior or special belong all the things all the all the things that we've just been talking about um and with that i think we're put and i'm speaking to all people who identify as um feeling not good enough in their own skin, no matter your gender, um, identity, sexual orientation, um, your ethnicity, so on and so forth, um, we're put in a place of disempowerment, right? Um, that we need to buy our way 
you know, through capitalism, the products or the courses or the coaches or the (laughs) all the things to try and make our body look better um, in order in order to feel lovable right or to feel enough Um, and there's nothing wrong I think with taking care of yourself and and you know having health as a value and wanting to feel strong in your body like that is all so so beautiful um, and I guess my question for you is like, for in, when, with your work with clients, like where do you see that being um, like healthy and helpful? And then when does it bleed into dysfunction? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, again, I think it's gray and it's messy a little bit. This, this. Uh, when do I see it being healthy and helpful? like what our relationship to like food and our body or like our pursuit of health or wellness yes yeah and when do i see it being dysfunctional yeah um so i'm probably going to start that well what comes to mind initially when you say that was my major my dog is going to clip clop on the floor here Hanky's co-host. Um, okay, so what comes to mind is in my uh, undergrad degree, I did a major research project on the eating disorder continuum mm-hmm. and how down one end, you know, we have like healthy relationship with food and our body. Uh, you know, our our reason for training is to feel like strong and have energy and we're just connected to whatever we're doing and we find joy in it. And then all the way down the other end is like the clinically diagnosed eating disorders. Uh, and then in the middle, this big section in the middle is this disordered eating and eating, um, like disordered eating practices. So often when I start working with women, they're in this middle place and they've been in this middle place for a really long time. Some aren't aware, you know, that they have disordered eating practices Mm -hmm. because of diet culture, because of the culture of what's been created around, you know, that it's really common and really normal to, to practice these things or for our why around training to be around changing our weight, shape or size, or it's, you know, we're focusing on the numbers or whatever. Uh, And so I'm finding that a lot of us sit in this place, this disordered kind of disordered eating place, uh, maybe unhealthy relationship with our training and our body. Uh, And we're doing a lot of practices that and behaviors that are just in pursuit of changing like the external. So changing the weight, shape and size. Mm -hmm. So that's when most women come to see me. You know, all this stuff has really challenged them on like their deepest level. And they're at this place where, you know, they've been training this way for years or decades. They've been following, you know, multiple diets. They've been in war basically with themselves and their body for a really long time. And so where we start our work together is like exploring that, like exploring like why do they train? You know, what are their uh, thoughts around like their body and around food, uh, their just like their views. Um, you know, what have they tried before? Why hasn't it worked? Uh, and so we dig deep into that. What does results mean to them? You know, why do they want to get wherever they want to go? Uh, and then we start the work of 
Yeah, I guess maybe do you want to jump in there? Yeah, what's to, really interesting yeah. about what you're saying um, is how people who are still on that, I'm going to call it like the hamster wheel, the yeah. pursuit to change the body, for it to be more quote-unquote perfect, um, they come to you as an, like another outlet to like, how can you help me achieve this? And because I know you and how you don't want to perpetuate that that um, track, right? That you want to intersect and help them heal their relationship to themselves and body and to feel strong, um, but not get sucked into that being their work. Am, am I correct on that? Saying that? Yeah. Okay. Basically, I'm stumping. Right. You're, stumping so you're, on the loop. Right. <laughs> you're trying to, to cut <laughs> the the closed loop cycle and that is so admirable like I have so much appreciation for you and your work that you step in and and try to help um before sorry to anyone to say this but before the train gets into a train crash like yeah. it's headed that direction yeah. and you're trying to you know give them a um you know a, a chance to jump off um and where I see clients, so this is where we differ, is that I see clients when they've gotten close to the end and they've maybe they've even had a crash. They've had several crashes. And it's like, I'm so depleted and exhausted. I don't want to do this chase, this race anymore, this battle with my body. I have dieted a million times. I've had an eating disorder. I've had disordered eating. Whatever it is, the, the, the history that they have... It's, it's almost like they're waving the white flag when they get to me. They're ready for it to be up, upheld and, and um, excavated and completely turned on its head. And that's where we, we, we see people at different stages of their process. Yeah. Alex is at the end of the train crash there. <laughs> no, she's not just at the end. She's all through the, through the journey. But, yeah, like you just said, you are in connection with these people that are ex exhausted yeah. from their eating disorder or their disordered eating. Like this pursuit goes on for, I've seen yeah. it for years, I've seen it for decades. Yeah. This, the wheel, the loop. And my um, question to sort of pose to the listeners is, when will it be enough, this pursuit for a perfect body? Um, when, when is it going to be enough that you want to completely change and rehabilitate your relationship to body and self and food and exercise? Do you want to get into the train crash or do you want to keep running on the hamster wheel? Like when is it going to be enough? Um, and you know, disarming, disarming the illusion that the perfectionism tied to disordered eating and or overexercise, looking at the ways in which it has promised you something. Like what has it promised you? Has it promised you happiness? Has it promised you love? Has it promised you you're going to be more popular or whatever it is? Looking at what you think you're going to get with your continued pursuit of that perfection, I think is incredibly important to look at first. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. What's what's at the end? Like, what is the outcome? Mm -hmm. Yeah, not like the outcome for the weight, shape, or size, but the feeling underneath that yes. that you think that you will get when you get there. Yeah, to that weight, that shape, that size. Yeah, 
Yeah. And what I find just so hysterical and shitty about being a human <laughs> is that the strategies that we apply to avoid feeling not good enough, disappointed, sad, hurt, shame, grief, all of that, that those strategies such as perfectionism, disordered eating, eating disorders, they don't actually bulletproof you from feeling those feelings. Yeah. <laughs> the strategy isn't working. Yeah. That is hysterical. I really like that. And it's so yeah. horrible <laughs> to come to that reality that this armor we're, we're loading on isn't actually protecting us from what we're trying to avoid. So how I see this is we move from the defenses of perfectionism, of eating disorders, of overexercise, and we, we, we move into the anxiety that that brings of not being perfect and the potential of losing connection and the potential of, of you know, things not going the way we wanted or uncertainty or the unfamiliar, like really coming to that anxiety with compassionate curiosity and then once we're able to acknowledge and be with what is drop down into those feelings that you so desperately do not want to feel because those feelings unless we feel them and acknowledge them and honor them and look to them as a source of wisdom with information they are going to keep rearing their ugly head over and over and over and over again until we heal and process them. Okay, so <clears throat> let's run a bit of an, a scenario, okay? okay? So say I'm, you know, I've worked with hundreds of women, but we look at this place, we look at their why, we look at what results means to them, you know, what they're attaching to that, where they want to go. You know, I look at obviously their metabolism, the state of their nervous system, their relationship to food, their relationship to exercise, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm linking the training and the nutrition and their, and their cycle together. And the first goal really is to like heal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that can look very different from depending on where, where they are, what's happened and healing for them might be seeing someone like seeing someone like you or, a, you know, a psychologist and really like doing that work. Healing for them might look like working in this like the intuitive eating space and like really working on trying to fuel their body so actually their body has some fuel so they can mm -hmm. you know have stable energy stable blood sugar so their brain can function to like do the work uh it looks different for everyone but say you know we're setting them up for we're getting curious on their why you know where they're at and then we put in like a training practice that's supporting them from, like in supporting their physiology. So basically I'm taking females that have over-exercised their entire life and done this high intensity, really stressful training and pulling it right back and they're walking and we're doing like body weight strength training stuff mm -hmm. because it's the least stressful for their system. Okay. And then we're just putting some food foundation stuff in place to make sure that the body's getting enough energy, the mind's getting enough energy. All right, so they still have this body composition goal, all right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, yes, it's to have more energy, it's to feel better, to get stronger, maybe to get some skills like pull-ups or push-ups, but a lot of 
females, super common that they still want to change their body composition, their weight, shape, and size. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're doing the work or they're working with someone on that. So everything that you've just spoken about, mm -hmm. where it's come from, why we believe that we should be looking this way, you know, from diet culture, that we're, we're doing the work on like perfectionism and basing our self-worth, you know, on the way that we look. Um, so how do we, where would you start, you know, if someone is in this place and they now understand that their body was super stressed, so they had to heal the system a little bit, mm -hmm. they love to train and, and they have learned to train in a way that's really supporting their physiology. They, they're learning more about their body through, and we can talk about like, some tracking stuff because I really like to talk about that. Okay. But not tracking in the way you think that you should track, just tracking by as in like writing notes in your journal and paying attention to your body, basically creating a connection. Mm -hmm. All right, but then they still have this pursuit to change their weight, shape, and size. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll often talk to them as in you have this expectation. Now, this expectation could be based on diet culture, your belief or, you know, your armor that you have on or whatever. So your expectation is to lose weight. And now you have your reality. Now, her reality might be that her system is still healing. You know, she's got three kids. She's got a job. She, like life is stressful. Mm -hmm. And the, re the gap between the expectation and the reality is so big. And this is what I'm finding. It's that we're putting this expectation. There's two, a couple of pieces that you'll probably speak to. One first is the expectation. And then how do you work on, how do you as a practitioner help someone really get curious about this expectation and about why they want this goal? Mm -hmm. And then how do you help them be okay with the fact that even if we change their reality and support their system, and they still choose to like, you know, have the job and the kids and, and all of the stuff. You can't get rid of the children. But the reality is still sometimes stressful. Like our life is stressful. That that reality might not support what they where they think they want to be. Basically, they're comparing themselves to like, you know, an, an athlete or, you know, a bodybuilder or a model or someone that has a different reality to them. So mm -hmm. they're... Okay, so the first piece I want you to talk to okay. is say they've done the healing. Yeah. They've learned about the food. They have more energy. They, they know that this way, this longer way is like the, the right way for them to like work on this stuff. But they still are attached to this body composition stuff mm -hmm. and losing weight. Mm -hmm. How do you help them with that? Okay. Cool. Great question. First, so there's a couple things that come to my mind. Trust, don't let me forget this. Trust, grief, um, and I want to say like new expectations. Okay, trust, grief, new expectations. Yes. Don't forget that. Okay. <laughs> trust, grief, new expectations. Okay. Yeah. So with trust, if... It sounds like, you know, a lot of your clients are doing that work of um, doing things that feel good for the body, moving the body that feels good, eating it and uh, feeding it in a nourishing way that feels good for the body, sleeping, having authentic connections, like really 
um, having a holistic sense of health and well-being um, and still fighting the body. Still wanting it to yes. be different. Okay? See, I like how Alex can wrap up what I just said in five minutes in two sentences. <laughs> okay. And therein lies the incongruence. Okay, I'm going to unpack incongruence so we all are on the same page of what I mean. Is um, feeling a certain way or thinking a certain way and not aligning and acting in that, right? So if I have a value of, let's say, integrity, but I'm acting in a way that's unintegral, that's incongruent. Yes. Right? Um, if I say that I love my body and I accept my body, but then I'm trying to change it, that's incongruent. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lack of trust with the body. We're not trusting the body. And essentially when we're saying, yeah, I love my life. I'm doing really good, but I still want to change it. And I want it to look a certain way. We are communicating to the body. I don't trust you. You like, you can't give me what it is that I need and what I want. I'm going to abandon you right now. So people, I would encourage you to really grapple with is incongruency showing up for you? Do you trust the body? And if you authentically did, there would be some peace. I could say no. <laughs> that is a big piece is that they don't trust their body because they have done practices and behaviors that I believe have bred distrust with the body for years or decades. The not listening, the following a certain way, you those things to me have broken the trust. So they're showing up to me, not trusting, still looking for the right way <laughs> to get there, but there's no trust. So this is the work that we're doing is trying to build that trust. Like they're listening to the body, you know, the, the, the giving it what it needs. What does it need? How do we listen to it? Uh, so we're trying to rebuild that trust there. Okay, so maybe they can trust that, yeah, this training feels good for them. It's giving more energy. This the way that they're eating is feeling good for them. They have more energy. They're sleeping. So we've, we've we're ticking off all these other signs that the system's good. But you're saying if the pursuit of the body composition or the weight is still there, there's incongruency or there's still a little bit of distrust with themselves. Yes. Because we're not trusting the body to to do its job of taking care of us. Okay. And I want to introduce this concept, and it may not fit for everyone, and that's totally cool, but to think about body, our bodies as part of nature. Okay. And in nature, it has its own system of how to flourish, right? And, and um, you know, a tree needs water, needs sunlight, its root system is connected to the other roots, birds, worms, dirt, like all of it is a part of an ecosystem that's working together. We also have a system in our body. Our organs are working together for hopefully the most part um, to, to do its job. Right, And when we are fighting it and saying you're not doing a good enough job because you don't look a certain way, we're essentially like crapping on nature and saying like we, like, we want to change it. But nature is beautiful. Nature is beautiful. Your body is beautiful. Another person's body, whether they're smaller or larger, they are also beautiful because they are part of nature. Okay. Um, 
and in nature, everything changes. Yes. It is it it is uh, vulnerable to fragility, and we can't stop that. Whether through aging or childbirth or like hormone stuff or like just a just a change in lifestyle, like the body is going to change. Our cells are replicating and dying all of the time. And we don't like that because we can't control it. Hence yeah, coming. Yeah, all of the time. <laughs> the impermanence of it all. Mm. And this is why the listening, the understanding to your own body is so important because what works for you today may not work for you yeah. tomorrow or in a week or in a year's time. But you need to learn how to look after the body, how to nourish the system, no matter what's going on, and everything's going to change all of the time. Yeah. How you tra- how you train will change, your work will change, the environment will change. All of those things are stressful. Now, not bad. It just it changes the system. It changes how the system responds. And so I say that often. It's we're doing the work, so then you know the body and you know how to like self-regulate, you know how to manage. Mm-hmm. Following a way or our protocol forever never works because nature changes. Nature the changes. Nature changes. And Absolutely. then that's what creates a lot of like friction, a lot of like I failed because this thing, and I often say, yeah, at the start, that thing could work for you for sure. Yeah, at the start, if you train hard and you follow a certain diet, yeah, you can you could lose weight or you could change your body composition. But it do, it often doesn't last mm-hmm. because our amazing bodies and our physiology is so complex. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand that complexity and then be able to put in like you know, practices and strategies that can support that complexity and just doing this one way, again, just like it fuels that distrust because we never truly learn to trust our body. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, I know sometimes you get mad at the weather for changing. Amy loves the sun, everyone. I do. Um, I get so mad. So mad. Yeah. And And I sometimes judge a day by the weather. Right. (laughs) And you're forced, like we're all forced to ride that out and to trust that nature is going to take its course and... And whether it's, you know, shit and there's something terrible that happens, a devastation or disaster that um, the nature will re- recalibrate and it will come back to a homeostasis, right? So we have to, I, I believe we have to approach our bodies in that way. Um, and much like you, you know, you wouldn't berate your toenail for growing or, you know, berate your hair for turning gray or, or growing, which maybe, maybe you would. To think about thinking the same way about your body, right? That that the you know the cellulite or um, the expansion of the waist or whatever it is or the boobs that get more saggy, you know the elasticity of our skin. That um, can we look at it the same way we would our toenail or our or our eyelashes or our shoe size, like. Why? Why do we have to be at war and berate the body? Okay, so how do you 
what are like a couple of things that people can start to think about or ask themselves or do to to work on this bit mm -hmm. this like this expectation or you know it's okay so you said trust yeah so we're getting curious about you know do I trust my body mm -hmm. why don't I trust my body how could I build trust with my body mm -hmm. is there some incongruency here yes. why is there some incongruency so we're asking questions yes and then you said trust the next one is grief grief okay. so grieving the thin ideal right? the thin ideal that diet culture has um, produced and grieving that right that that your past body or the, the you know maybe maybe you had gained some weight and your past body was thinner I, I often hear that a lot from clients grieving that grieving that your body isn't going to look the way that you um, want it to maybe compared to another person's body um, and grieving maybe what the body will never be right and it's okay to be upset that your body doesn't look with that thin ideal or that beauty privilege um, because let's be honest people who do fit the thin privilege um, or the beauty privilege or the ideal of beauty are given more opportunities are are given favoritism are um, held on a pedestal and that fucking sucks right that we don't all have access to the same resources the same opportunities like that effing sucks and grieving that, right? grieving that isn't necessarily going to um, be your experience. Yeah, and that can be a really hard one mm -hmm. to to grieve the like. I'll often, as as you just said, your clients also will grieve maybe the body that they had before, mm -hmm. before the healing, before the children. Mm -hmm. Uh, before the work that we're we're doing or, or whatever it was from before and then that this is the hard part the the grieving of well what if you know your metabolism's really healthy you find joy in this type of training and it supports your physiology you have healthy regular cycles you know you have great connections with your family you're fueling your body with enough food like we're doing all these things to what if you don't get there mm -hmm. and to grieve that yeah. to know that this pursuit you you may never get there yeah. and is that okay can you be okay with that you need to grieve that mm -hmm. absolutely we have to feel it to heal it yeah because and this is what happens is like you know uh, and maybe you have been there but you've been there through so much restriction and so much over-exercising, so much control around it that, yeah, it's allowed you to achieve that. But through disordered eating, an eating disorder, over-exercising. Yeah, through, through abandoning. Through abandoning. Myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also really hard to know that this different way is well it's going to give you all these other things but it may not give you the body composition that you had from the control yes. that you did for years or decades mm -hmm. but how do you even help someone work through that because that's really hard yeah. to, to grieve 
Absolutely. And there's lots of different strategies. Um, I you know, recommend seeking counsel, talking. I personally like to express through speaking my, my thoughts, my feelings and ideas to people I trust. Um, but journaling is great. Um, artwork is great. Um, connecting with nature. Um, we heal in community. And so I'm a big advocate for connecting with other humans. Um, to share our stories, if that feels safe for you to do that, um, and to be witnessed, right? Okay. Um, that that would be my recommendation. But grief is not a linear path. It's very twisty and turny. It's kind of like waves. I also describe it as sort of an infinity, um, sort, uh, an infinity sign where we get these different bouts of emotion, sadness, anger, um, resistance, resentment, joy, even excitement, like it will come in waves because, um, you know, the moment in that wave where you realize, holy shit, I'm free now. I don't have to keep myself in this prison I've created for myself, how free that will feel and how scary that will feel. To step out of that prison that you don't need to restrict the body in order to live a good life, right? yeah. to live a fulfilling life. Okay, so we have trust, we have grief, right? and expectations, right? So um, what I want to say about that is, and I'm sure I know that you've um, spoken to this before, um, but the question about expectation is, would you treat a friend or someone that you love the same way that you are treating yourself and your body? If the answer is no, I want to invite everyone to see how unhealthy and unfair that is to live in a world in which there are rules and ways of being that apply to yourself that don't apply to others and vice versa. And, you know, oftentimes I ask, I ask a client like, okay, tell me about your best friend. Like, would you love them any less if they were living in a larger body? And they, so far, nine times out of 10, someone has said to me, absolutely not. I would still love them the same. Okay, so let's shift and make these expectations flexible so that um, the expectations align with the pursuit of your values and that your expectations have generosity and compassion for yourself um, and that the expectations that you hold yourself for are to fill your cup up and aren't to live a life that other people want you to live. Um, so, you know, for anyone who's in a partnership where maybe their partner says, yeah, I'd, I'd like if you lost some weight, I'd like if you were a bit, you know, thinner, <sighs> like, holy crap, first of all, that's a huge red, red flag in a relationship, <laughs> but, but really, like, I've heard so many people tell me something along those lines, or that their parent told them they needed to lose weight to be healthy, or that their parent was concerned about their weight, or that their parent said, you know, let's do a diet together, and so... We're literally being told that thinness is good and fatness is bad. And if we align with living our life for other people, 
are you really going to find satisfaction in that? My, my, my guess is no. <laughs> yeah. My guess is no, because you only have one life and we need to live it for ourselves first. Consider other people, care about other people. And not the other way around. Yeah. So the work then becomes like looking at like shifting the expectation or creating new expectations or mm-hmm. that's like the last the last part. I'm not gonna say the last part because there's no order, yeah. but it's just another part, part yeah. of of this. Yeah. So I'll share with you my personal experience, just like hot second here. Um, so I also had an eating disorder years ago and always thought, okay, I'm going to get better and now I'm not, and I'm going to get better and now I'm not. And, and, you know, full disclaimer that the recovery process is not linear. It is topsy turvy ups and down all the time. Um, and it, I think it wasn't until I did have that shift in expectation where my expectation of myself is to be a kind person. It is to put my healing as a priority. It is to uh, be integral in relationship. It is to um, love more. It is to learn more. Like putting the onus and the expectation on the things that are, I'm going to say, more internal, uh, an internal fulfilling experience versus the external. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a hard. It's hard to do to come back to like the the internal ones and not in a in the culture that we live in. It's a really hard thing to do. <laughs> the exposure that we get to yeah. the external and the comp- the constant comparison and the judgment and um, yeah, it's. I think it's. It's really. It's a really hard thing to do. Not. Um, you know, I often say like it's. It's healing is not impossible. It's hard, like you just said. It's like it's not linear, and it's so. <laughs> it's messy, and there's not one. It's not a one way street, and and I'll say the same thing about you know like healing our healing our body our maybe our nervous system or our metabolism healing our relationship to training and it's not linear but um and it's it's really hard and I think the hardest piece that I find that so many women struggle with is okay well what you know what if I did all of these things and I but then I'm still not where I want to be, still attached to this outcome, to this weight, to this shape, to this size. Um, And yeah, for me, like I have a little bit of a different like background with it. Uh, You know, for me, it wasn't the pursuit of a weight or a shape or a size. I've never counted anything in my life. The only number that I was ever attached to was the number on my bar for Olympic lifting. Uh, But I always pursued and based my work on my physical ability, like how strong I was, um, you know, what my body's capable of. And for me, you know, that's like, that's who I am, you know, I'm a mover, I train, I'm strong, I, but there are all these other things 
that I have had to dig deep and find, like you just spoke about, the, the internal things of not like, yeah, I can do this really cool skill. And that's great. It makes me feel strong. Yeah. But like, why do I want to feel strong? What does that do for me? Yeah. Um, you know, how does that impact how I show up? And what are the other things? I'm a great listener. Mm -hmm. I am a great teacher. Like finding all those other things. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Finding value outside of the physical whether that is how much you can lift how strong you look or or you know the inches on someone's waist seeing your value outside of that and you know ideally hopefully for um for this journey to move into a place of acceptance which definitely uh, comes with those grief feelings of disappointment um, or when our identity changes, like let, like my goodness, when when you were sick, um, um, and uh, what was the illness you had again? Oh, when back I had my uh, like lower my lower back problem, yes. and then I had that terrible relationship breakdown. I got shingles. 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 I got yeah. Massive hormonal imbalance. Yes. I was really yeah really unwell. And and so for folks who go through an experience where their ability to uphold like the, the physicality, whatever that looks like for someone, um, if that's tied to their identity, like my goodness, the pain that comes with that changing and that impermanence. And, you know, someone who's, a, let's say, a skier, and then they get into an accident and they no longer ski. If their identity is tied to, I am a skier, then there, of course, is going to be grief and pain attached with that changing. Um, so for, for folks who are in this pursuit of perfection, to change their body, to have it look a certain way, for it to do things for them in a particular way in order to feel good enough, the truth of the matter is it will never be enough because that bar will continually rise. And if your um, accessibility to that pursuit changes, you get an accident or something happens, it, you're going to be met with a, a, a brick ton of grief and sadness and disappointment. And so we have to step into acceptance and meet the body where it's at. Um, doesn't mean we have to like it all the time, but to accept it, because this is the only body we got. We're not going to get another one in this lifetime. Yeah. Is that connected no, at all? Yeah, it is. Like, I, I love it. Um... Like what comes up for me is this like this comparison. So, you know, they'll com be comparing, you know, we compare ourselves all of the time, super common as well. <laughs> but I guess the way that I can describe it is like, like movement and training is like who, who, like what I do. Do you know what I mean? But there's so, so many. It's you what you do, but it's not who, who you are. are. It's yeah. what I do, but it's like, it's not like who I am, but it's like such a big part of like yeah. what I do yes. as in like me personally, like I've been a, like, I've been a mover for forever. It's a way that I express myself, the way that I connect to myself, way that I find joy in like moving. Now I haven't had the healthiest relationship with training forever from, you know, gymnastics and, and dancing and then Olympic lifting really 
like aesthetic sports, uh, outcome-focused sports, and I've had to work really hard on changing my relationship to training. What does it mean to, to move the body, you know, to do something that you just do for joy that might be just like a little bit softer, mm -hmm. that's not outcome-focused? Uh, but like I find so much joy in the practice of training. Beautiful. That's like who, yeah, yeah, like, but if you don't love running, don't run yeah. because you think that it's going to give you this. And this is what I say all the time. If you don't love doing something, but you're doing it because yes. you want the outcome or you think that it will impact the, the body composition, but there's no joy in it, mm -hmm. eventually it's going to cause more harm. You know, it's going to be so stressful because it's coming from this place of like fear and scarcity. It's squishy. The physiology knows that you actually hate running, but you're forcing yourself to run. Mm -hmm. I think where I'm going with this is like, you know, after we pursue this, you know, this way to train, are we to change our weight, shape, or size, but there's no joy in the practice of doing it. Mm -hmm. But we're comparing ourselves to, you know, yeah, I don't, does that resonate? Yeah, hear you. I totally hear you. And I agree that um, how we operate should be coming from a place of, does this feel good? Right? Does this feel good? And the truth is, what, I, what I've seen is that that healthy part of, yeah, this makes me feel good and I feel strong and, and this, this is like so uplifting and I have great energy and can be mixed in with the disordered unhealthy part, which is I want to lose weight. Like I still want to, I still want to lose weight. I still want to, you know, change my body and that those can be really entangled sometimes. Yeah. It's not one or the other. They can be mixed in. And for my clients, like I say to them and I've said this to you too, it's like, I can't say that you can't have the desire to want to lose weight. That's your choice. But I can't get behind that because I believe from, from like in my own personal belief here, I believe that it causes more harm than good to orient ourselves in that direction. Um, and the same thing with perfection. I can't orient with a client and help them be more perfect because that's a defense to get away from experiencing their whole experience. And I can't get behind that. So for any of your listeners, like, where the heck are you going with this? Um, is I want to invite people to get super curious about how these complex layers are working and unfolding in your life. And if you feel that it's causing you more harm than good then let's do something about that. Okay? Reach out to a friend, reach out to a mental health professional, reach out to a life coach, reach out to a coach and see what there is to be done to rewire and recondition yourself if you're not living the life that you really want to live. Probably a good place to end mm -hmm. on, is it? Should we, do you want to talk about anything else? No, I mean, do you have any questions or do you feel well, like... We could just talk for hours and hours and hours. Um, I kind of just want to like, there's so much in that. So I want to oh, maybe give like a few things 
Well, basically you could probably just listen to the episode and just like see what comes up, like what questions come up for mm-hmm. you, I would say. But okay, so we covered perfectionism and when we start to rumble with perfectionism, what are, what are we doing? Where do we kind of start? Do we start just by noticing, just by paying attention? Do we start by asking ourselves some questions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, great. Um, so, yes, first we want to increase awareness. So that's going to involve paying attention, right? Pay attention to yourself, to your body, to your inner dialogue, and to notice notice what the heck's going on there, right? I'm just laughing because um, that is a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, it's scary to pay attention because what might I learn? Yeah. What might come up if I pay attention? Right. And for people who don't know if, you know, who don't know, like, what's going on on the inside of perfectionism or disordered eating is... Um, you know, running the show is it's okay to not know, but you either don't know because you haven't taken a look before or you're too afraid to take a look because you're afraid of what you might find. Yeah. So paying attention and when you, if and when you find something, um, to take 10 deep breaths and then orient to making one step, one decision that will be supportive of, I'm going to say like your higher self, right? Higher self, I describe as like that place that's coming from love, that's of your best interest, that um, is like, is the healthy part of you. Yeah. Okay. And then the next piece is around the trust piece, just like asking do I trust my do I trust my body? Do I trust um, I want you to just touch on trust. Uh, what was the second one? Expectations. Ex- well, that or grief. Was the third grief. One. Trust, grief, expectations. So with the trust piece, what are, what are, how do they connect in with that? Yeah. So <laughs> trust is a choice. And the reason why we don't trust is because we are afraid of being disappointed and it's easier to not trust ourselves to get away from that. I was waiting for her to say that. Trust is a choice. Trust is a choice. (laughs) Um, So you get to choose that. Okay. Right to choose yeah. to trust yourself, and what does that what does that feel like? What what is the difference between trusting yourself and I'm going to say like betraying yourself? Yeah. Right. So getting curious about that. Um, that's what I would say for trust. Um, there's more, but maybe we could do another episode on yeah, on yeah, trust. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, grief. Feel the feels. Feel the feels. Get connected to someone, something. Express yourself. We want to activate the right side brain and the right side brain we need for processing emotion. Um, So music, movement, metaphor, imagery, um, like really just get it like sinking into the feelings. Okay. Um, and then expectation, checking in with yourself. Would I treat someone else the same way I treat myself and my body? If the answer is no, your expectations need to be revamped. Right? Right. 
and and aligning your expectations to be with your values that touch base with your internal experience and not the external satisfaction yeah so that's what i would say for that beautiful okay we're gonna end it there great thank you so much for having me <laughs> oh it was a pleasure i i love it talking about all the things that make us feel uncomfortable but are important yeah great you can listen to these episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts please give the podcast some love by subscribing now and if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Bye for now. Hey, warrior woman, I've created something very cool. Warrior school. Do you feel like you can't get the results that you want in your training? You don't know how to eat to support your training and cycle. And do those irregular or painful cycles actually stop you from training? I've worked with hundreds of women and have had thousands of conversations and most have struggled with at least one of these things, some all three, for years, sometimes even decades. Warrior School was birthed from what I have learned and experienced myself over the last 13 years about training, food and the menstrual cycle. It's an individual coaching program and online community for women who want to get strong and learn how to train with their cycles. So if you're feeling lost and disconnected from your body, if you're feeling tired and confused, and you feel like you don't have a good understanding in how to train for you, I'm here to tell you that there's something you can do about it. Warrior School teaches you how to train smart to get results. You will learn to understand what works for you and it will feel really bloody good to train. I will also teach you how to eat to support your metabolism, training and cycle. Join this community of women who lift weights, track their cycles and train with them.